And good morning, Vice Mayor Kelman and Council Member Cleveland Knowles. This meeting has been held pursuant to Government Code Section 54953E. And in light of the declared state of emergency, the special meeting of the Legislative Review Committee for November 5th, 2021 will be conducted telephonically through Zoom and broadcast live on the city's website. Great, thank you so much, Serge. Um, and welcome everybody to City of Sausalito Special Legislative Review Committee meeting for Friday, November 5th, 2021. I believe we have four items on the agenda today, so I will call this meeting to order. Um, I believe we established we don't need to take a roll call because it's myself and Councilman Cleveland Knowles, is that correct, Mary? Correct. Okay. Yes, so sorry, I might unmute button. Great, all members are, are present then. Um, so we'll get started with our first uh, business item for today. Uh, there was a request to change the agenda around, but I do not see the city manager. So should we proceed with the first item? Yes, please. Okay, great. So the first business item, item 2A, AB 1383, the Organic Waste Disposal Reduction Ordinance. And I believe uh, Elena Lip is going to be providing this effort report. All right, thank you, um, Councilmember Kelman. All right, let me just get my screens all figured out here. Okay, good morning, Legislative Committee members. Uh, this is a staff presentation on the SB 1583 requirements for jurisdictions to implement organic waste diversion. Staff is coming to you today to ask for guidance in the presentation and preparation of this ordinance for City Council. Um, let's get started. All right. SB 1383 was passed in 2016 by Governor Jerry Brown to address methane gas emissions from organic waste in landfills that contributes to climate change. Landfilling organic waste leads to the anaerobic breakdown of that material, which creates methane in addition to nitrous oxide and particulate matter. Landfills are responsible for 21% of the state's methane emissions and are California's third largest producer of methane. Methane is 72 times more potent than carbon dioxide over a 20 year horizon. So reducing production of this gas now through actions like organic waste recycling will significantly reduce emissions and will reduce the impacts of climate change in our lifetime, such as drought and wildfire. Elena, I apologize for interrupting and um, Vice Mayor Kelman, Councilmember Cleveland Knowles, I see that the city manager has joined. I believe he has limited time this morning. I don't know if you'd like to pause this item and ask if he would like to speak to the, the fourth item on your agenda or if you'd like to move forward with this item. I think it's a lengthier discussion, the SB 1383. It sure, is. Certainly, um, see the city manager's iPad is on. Chris, would you like to uh, have your item heard? Yep, if you wouldn't mind. Okay, so just for the members of the public, uh, we're going to pause on business item 2A on AB 1383. We are going to make a quick agenda uh, update here to uh, look at item 2D, visualization of changing Marin's North Coast Congressional District. And I'll just ask my fellow council member any um, issues with making that change, Council Member Cleveland Knowles? Okay, yeah, so uh, we'll make that quick switch. And uh, Chris, you have the floor. Thank you. Uh, so this item was brought to my attention um, uh, three days ago um, as a part of the Marin County City Manager's 
group. And it was a specific request from Marin County for cities uh, to be aware of the uh, redistricting and what that would mean to Marin County as well as uh, the state. Uh, essentially, um, as I understand it, um, it would create um, a split of Marin County. Uh, it would create some things that uh, would certainly um, uh, impact Sonoma County as well. Uh, the County Board of Supervisors has formed and written and has had public hearings on this for the past uh, couple of uh, months about uh, their opposition to this. And so when I heard about it, I thought, hmm, this is something that uh, potentially the city of Sausalito would want to weigh in on. And so that's why I brought it to this group. Okay. Um, is there anything specific that came to mind for, for you as a concern or that the council needs to take immediate action on? Uh, well, it, you know, it, my question to the uh, folks in Marin County was, you know, is this something new? I think these things happen every 10 years when redistricting happens and why is this happening so late? Uh, and my understanding is, you know, there have been some things happening at the federal level that trickle down to the state level. And so therefore, uh, this has kind of not gotten the airtime it needed in a normal circumstance, uh, but it's not uh, something that the county supports. Uh, so they've created a, um, a uh, request uh, that cities that are uh, supportive of their efforts to uh, request that this not happen uh, be put on the record. And so uh, in terms of the city of Sausalito, uh, you know, just trying to make folks aware of it and see where the council uh, committee wants to go, this legislative committee wants to go with furthering uh, our uh, involvement in it or just standing on the sidelines. Great. Thank you for that. Councilman Cleveland Knowles, any comments or questions for city manager? You know, I think um, we may want to discuss it as a council. I mean, obviously splitting Marin County into different districts doesn't seem like it um, is helpful us um, from a congressional standpoint but um, you know if we're going to take a stand I think it would be better to have the full council weigh in on that um, so I'd be amenable to having that on consent calendar or very brief item okay. um, it would be helpful I guess for me to see I'm sorry there weren't any attachments to this but no. maybe if the board of supervisors already had a resolution if we could maybe get a copy of that. Um, I mean, I'm generally in favor of, of weighing in, um, and, but I'm not exactly sure what facts the redistricting committee is looking at, so, and what standards they have to follow. Yeah, I think the other interesting piece um, is that redistricting, well, now that we're gonna have an opening on the assembly, redistricting would have uh, whomever runs for that seat run against, I think, the North Coast incumbent, um, but the assembly maps are still a work in progress. So that does, I think, change the dynamic of kind of uh, how we think about our assembly person and what that means for Sausalito specifically. And uh, like my council, my colleague uh, on, the, on the council here, I'd like to see the maps so I can understand that a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. So there is an interest. Uh, I, I'm happy to provide that. I, I know there's some urgency to it. Uh, other cities are starting to weigh in. I believe Corte Madera's council uh, or their staff, somebody wrote a letter supporting the county board's position to oppose uh, this particular redistricting effort. But I will um, get that information and 
I will talk to um, you know Serge about uh, putting that in front of the city council on the 16th. I don't think you want to do it on the 7th, so that would be pretty quick. So, uh, I'm sorry, um, Chris, I did just see, so the agenda for today has continued to get updated this week, and I only looked at it much earlier right. in the week, so there is now a letter attached to this item from the Board of Supervisors mm -hmm. um, putting forward their Argument. rationale. It's very yeah. short. Or actually, there's only only the even. There's only it's page two of four, but there's only mm -hmm. okay. Anyway, it's got some maps, so we do have that information. So I think um, if we have a template from Corte Madera, um, mm -hmm. if the vice mayor is amenable, I'd be in favor of putting it on our agenda for whatever timetable makes sense for you, either Tuesday mm -hmm. or next week. Yeah. And I think we should put it on consent. I, that would be my recommendation. And if somebody is opposed and wants to have a discussion, we could take it off consent, um, unless the vice mayor thinks differently. No, I support that. Let's let's aim for the 16th. Yep. Great. Thank you. Sorry about that. Yep. No problem. Great. Okay. Uh, do we need to take public comment on that item? Any yes, members please. of the public search? Vice Mayor Kelman, it looks like Sandra Bushmaker has um, raised her hand. Sandra, you've been unmuted and asked to share your video. Great. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I just wanted to say that I think this item is extremely important. Uh, Dick Spotswood had an article this week uh, in the IJ that might be worth looking at uh, as to the impact of this proposal. Uh, for redistricting and you know just basically it changes our relationships with our neighbors so dramatically that I, and all the relationships that we have worked so hard to build that I think that we really need to take a firm stance against this proposal but take a look at Dick's um, article I agree that we need the maps uh, in order to completely understand this but uh, the old divide and conquer is something that uh, I see on the sidelines here, and I don't think that's a good idea. Thank you. Great, thank you. That's uh, really helpful. We'll, we'll gather that information as, as well. Any other and, members of the public, Serge? Uh, Vice Mayor Kelman, I see no other hands raised. Okay, uh, so we'll just bring it back up to um, council members. Uh, anything else to add, council member? Nope. Okay, so I believe the direction of staff is to uh, prepare more material for consent for November 16th. Thank you. Great. All right. Thanks, everybody. All right, moving uh, moving right along, we're going to move back to our uh, preliminary item. Um, Elena Lip is going to take us back to uh, 1383. Um, so thank you for that, and we'll proceed with this matter. You have the floor. All right. Thank you. All right, so another item um, to 1383 is the diversion of food waste to uh, landfills. So when we talk about organic waste for the purposes of this bill, we are talking about green waste, wood waste, food waste, fibers, uh, such as paper and cardboard. Um, organic waste comprises two thirds of our waste stream. Uh, and according to CalRecycle's last waste characterization study in 2014, Food waste comprised 18% of what we disposed. So SB 1383 also requires Californians to 
to recover 20% of currently disposed edible food to be provided to those in need. The law establishes aggressive organic waste reduction targets and builds upon mandatory commercial organics recycling laws such as AB 341 and AB 1826. SB 1383 requires Californians to reduce organic waste disposal by 50% by 2020 and 75% by 2025. These targets use 2014 levels as a baseline. This will uh, reduce approximately 4 million metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions annually by 2030. Sausalito, uh, to, as a reference, Sausalito set a target of 94% diversion of all waste from landfill by 2025 in its recently adopted general plan. To meet these uh, requirement deadlines uh, of Jan January 1st, 2022, CalRecycle expects that jurisdictions will be planning and making programmatic and budgetary decisions regarding the requirements in advance of this deadline. Uh, this slide kind of summarizes the um, these requirements. By January 1st, 2022, the Sausalito must provide organic collection to all residents and businesses, which we already do. We must establish an edible food recovery program, which we are starting to work on. We must conduct education and outreach, which is in process. We must establish a procurement plan. We have not started this. And do capacity planning, which is in process, but largely unstarted. Starting in 2024, the jurisdiction must take enforcement against non-compliant entities. Can I just interrupt? Um, can you go back to the last slide? What do you mean, what's procurement in this context? It's a good question. Um, and I have more about it later in my presentation, but procurement means that the city must buy or acquire or use compost, mulch, or um, biogas, which is gas produced from digesting um, this organic waste um, in a certain quantity stipulated by a cow recycle. And this is basically to um, uh, create a demand market for the products created um, through organic composting. Okay, so like our rec park could buy something to use in our gardening program or Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Yeah. All right, by January 1st, 2022, jurisdictions have to have uh, an ordinance in place with an enforcement mechanism, even though they are not required to enforce until 2024. Between uh, 2022 and the end of 2023, jurisdictions need to identify businesses that are in violation and provide education, educational material to those generators. Um, so the first two years are focusing on educating the public and generators with the goal to make sure that everyone knows what they're supposed to do and has the opportunity to comply before enforcement um, regulations come into effect in 2024. Our jurisdiction will have to maintain all information in an implementation record um, and there's a lot of uh, requirements for that record um, given by CalRecycle, um, such as it has to be uh, stored in one central location, kept as a physical or electronic record, needs to be accessible to CalRecycle staff within 10 business days, and needs to be retained for five years. 
the Zero Waste Marin JPA performs uh, reporting for all Marin jurisdictions to CalRecycle currently. Um, and they have recently contracted with a software company that Sausalito will have access to to do this. CalRecycle gives some guidance on the preparation of the local ordinances um, by providing a model ordinance. And within that model ordinance, there are pathways to take which provide, provide a variety of options for compliance to jurisdictions, uh, but decisions will have to be made in advance of preparing an ordinance draft, um, such as which uh, compliance pathway Sausalito is going to take, either standard or performance-based, what our inspection procedures and enforcement mechanism will be, um, whether we're going to regulate self-haulers, um, establishing hauler requirements on our hauler, which is Bay City's refuse, uh, and adopting a procurement plan. So I want to explain the difference a little bit between standard and performance. We can take either pathway because uh, Sausalito already provides three cans, collect, uh, three can collection system and um, provides service to 90% plus of generators. Um, we have the main differences between these two pathways are in uh, enforcement inspection and contamination monitoring regimes. Um, performance space requires frequent contamination monitoring of all landfill bound cans and the standard model has greater record keeping and educational requirements. Uh, I recommend a thorough review of the attachment two to the staff report um, to look at all of the differences. Uh, decisions must be made about inspection and enforcement, such as what the process will be and whose responsibility will, it will be to enforce, um, what the mechanism will be, um, and timeframes are set by SB 1383, and what kind of fines will be imposed. The law also requires that equity be uh, addressed in the implementation of a fine system, so the uh, standard code enforcement fines set in Sausalito Municipal Code um, may not be uh, sufficient. Uh, Sausalito also has to adopt a procurement plan. Our target is 581.5 tons of organic waste and that's based off of our population. Um, as I previously said, it's compost, mulch, and biogas for energy. And the procure procurement plan uh, may be a part of this ordinance or separately adopted, um, but it must be adopted by a governing body so that it's enforceable. Um, Sausalito needs to regulate self-haulers, though we currently don't um, allow self-hauling as, uh, as a regular thing that um, we have an exclusive franchise agreement with Bay City's Refuse. Um, but if we were to allow it, um, we would have to establish a process and potentially waivers uh, for those that uh, can't otherwise um, uh, subscribe to the waste service. The ordinance is urgent, but other items related to the ordinance in the SB 1383 require planning, such as creating that procurement plan, updating our franchise agreement with Bay City's Refuse, uh, budgeting for these activities, uh, whether that is going to come from staff, city staff or a contractor. Um, the city needs to ensure that tier one generators have a food recovery agreement in place. And I believe the only tier one generator we potentially have maybe Molly Stones as a supermarket, although they may not be big enough to be a tier one generator. 
and there are um, some funds available from uh, Zero Waste JPA to reimburse the city for its compliance activities. Um, 19,000 um, in a compliance re reimbursement fund um, and approximately 12,000 which we've already acquired through an annual grant and we're using to do uh, preliminary education. Um, so uh, staff recommends that uh, the legislative committee provide us with some direction in advance of taking this to city council and preparing an ordinance. Thank you so much, Elena. Um, Councilmember Cleveland Knowles, do you have questions for staff? Sorry, yeah, I guess my main question is which um, path do you recommend? Uh, I, at this time, I think I would recommend the standard um, because it puts the onus, the focus of it is more on um, the preliminary education of the, the jurisdiction, whereas I think the performance-based uh, assumes that everyone knows how they're supposed to separate their waste and uh, is more targeted towards um, monitoring for compliance. Um, I think the uh, under the performance base, all landfill cans have to be monitored uh, once a quarter. And I think that that could be onerous um, for the city to implement um, at this time. Whereas uh, for the standard base, we have to uh, essentially sample a statistical sample of all routes. It's, it's very fine-grained, so I think the decision will have to be made in conjunction with Bay City's refuse and whatever um, inspection and enforcement mechanism uh, the city chooses to use. So just one more question, Vice Mayor. So did we get input from, um, you know, I know the Sustainability Commission has been working for years with Bay City Refuse and using um, the grants from the JPV um, or the JPA, whatever it is, um, for years on education and outreach. Have they made a recommendation, either um, Bay Cities or, and or sustainability? Not at this time. Um, I don't think they've addressed the model ordinance um, in depth. Okay. Great. Thank, thank you for that. Um, it seems like it would be really useful and a good use of their time to provide us with a recommendation. That seems like it's right within their wheelhouse. So um, I know you're the liaison to that committee. It'd be interesting if you could uh, present that or, or it's actually you know? council I used to be and I love that um, but it's council member Blowski now right right okay so um, so Lena if you could maybe um call up council member Blaustein and, and see about having their review that would that would be helpful at least to inform us as to whether they've looked at it or not I think it's always helpful for the council um I, I did have a couple of questions clarifications for you and maybe suggestions so SB 1383 was enacted in 2017 and the deadline to adopt an ordinance is January 1st, 2022. Why did we wait so long to bring this? So the targets were set in 2016 and there were two years of rulemaking that followed it uh, where Cal Recycle um, developed, uh, developed the, the ordinance requirements in depth and the programs. And so I think they published those in 2019 and um, it was expected at the time that cities would uh, pay attention and start uh, planning for this capacity to start in January 1st of 2021, um, but they would already be acting on it. Um, 
from what I gather from other jurisdictions, everyone is at about um, where we're at in Marin County, um, just preparing ordinances uh, at this time to be adopted in 2021. So is there a penalty for non-timely compliance with the requirements of the ordinance? Um, they do have, and I have a couple a slide on this. Um, so oversight, it begins in 2022 and they're going to uh, review our compliance through our reporting. Um, they do have the option to issue a notice of violation. Um, I've asked uh, what the appetite is with CalRecycle to, to start enforcing on cities, especially with Sausalito's small size. I don't think that it's realistic that we'll see any penalties issued, um, especially if we're in the process of adopting our ordinance. I don't know if it's an option to backdate the in the um, the effect of the ordinance to January 1st, 2022, even if we adopted in February. So so something we may want to do, I spoke to Mill Valley about this. Um, they are working on this right now, as you mentioned, and planning to go to council with a resolution of intent that they're going to file with CalRecycle. Um, and by filing this uh, resolution of intent, they think this will give them time to work on the ordinance, especially the requirements in terms of reporting and enforcement. Um, have you considered at least doing that, or can we please consider that? I think that that would, might be a good option, especially for a consent calendar item to just um, notice the intent to to adopt an ordinance. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think we should still aggressively push to get a draft ordinance in place and reviewed in January. Yeah, I totally agree. I just want to make sure at least we cover some of that. Um, and then relatedly, uh, so Mill Valley also told me that they're waiting for input from R3 that were contracted by Zero Waste to help. And then I reached out um, to Heidi prior to the meeting and she said that we were also working with R3. So there may, or maybe I'm wrong. Um, if there's an efficiency to be had, let's pursue that. But yes, your thoughts? Yeah, so there's a joint um, agreement with R3 for uh, I think about eight or so jurisdictions um, I've reached out to R3 and, and talked with them a couple of times to evaluate whether they have capacity to work with Sausalito, although we're not currently um, uh, in a relationship with R3. Uh, we do have that option to, um, to use to, to use those uh, compliance reimbursement funds from zero waste um, to, to work with them to get assistance on implementing this ordinance. Okay, yeah, it, it would be interesting to see what that might cost us um, because knowing that Mill Valley and others are already doing this exact same work, it, it, we might be able to use those funds. Um, so if, if staff has time to, to check on that, I think that would be uh, potentially quite useful. Um, and then my, my last question, or two, sorry, one more. Um, so you mentioned the update of the franchise agreement for Bay City's refuse. So when we looked at the rate increase at Finance Committee, this requirement was a big part of the justification for the rate increase. Um, have you been able to talk with them at all about how the rate increase might offset some of this or how that gets implemented uh, on their end or is that still preliminary in terms of those conversations? Uh, I think officially it's fairly preliminary, but uh, my understanding with uh, Bay City's Refuse right now, and we're working closely um, to kind of understand the requirements for haulers and for the city and figure out a path forward. Um, my understanding is that they're willing to update the franchise agreement and that that not, need not necessarily um, entail another uh, rate review. 
that the rate has been updated, but um, as far as uh, codifying uh, responsibilities of the hauler versus the responsibilities of the city, um, you know that the franchise agreement should be updated. Okay, yeah, my recollection, and I wasn't thinking about in terms necessarily of that distinction, my recollection was that that was a very big reason and justification for them in the rate increase. And sort of conceptually, my walk away was, oh, we're doing this so that they can cover that for us. Yeah. So I just want you to be aware of that. Maybe we need to go back and look at the, um, the tape of the finance committee meeting where we discussed that and maybe um, Mr. Francis knows, but I just wanna make sure you're alerted to that because that was significant reason why we approved that and recommended approval to the council. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am aware. I think um, the differences is gonna be in who um, performs uh, what kinds of inspections of um, city generators and how that enforcement mechanism responsibility, you know, plays out between you know city staff. Currently, uh, the community development department um, in Chapter Twelve Twenty Four is designated as responsibility for enforcing um, the garbage hauling. So, if we're going to stay consistent, then there may be a role for um, the CDD code enforcement officer to play in the process. That's interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. Um, Councilor Cleveland, those other questions for public comment? Yeah, I guess um, just going back to the Mill Valley and other jurisdictions that are going through this, are they, do you know which path they've chosen? Are they also going through the, or prefer the standard approach or the performance-based approach, do you know? I do not at this time know what they're doing, although that's, a, that's probably gonna be my first question once we, um, get some more response from them. I think um, uh, I'm going to be trying to coordinate a meeting with some of the other planners who are working on this with uh, the Department of Public Works um, so we can get wrap our heads around um, what the common approach has been. Yeah, I mean, it sounded from the staff report like you want a direction today to bring an ordinance to the city council, you know, as soon as possible, like December or early January, but it doesn't you know, I read through the attachment too. It just wasn't in really clear to me which path is best for Sausalito. If your recommendation is the standard approach, um, that's fine. Um, you know, I just, it would be helpful if we were kind of rowing in the same direction as other jurisdictions and we could um, take advantage of sort of a common approach so that we can save on um, you know, attorney time, staff time, and all of that, that would, um, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a huge, doesn't seem like there's huge difference in outcomes, really. Um, I guess the only other comment that, you know, if you want that direction from us that pursue that approach unless kind of find compelling um, reasons to use the performance approach, I would be fine with that today. Um, my other issue, you asked for input on the fines and the, or the enforcement um, aspect. I definitely think we should have in our ordinance fines as a tool in the toolbox. Um, obviously, if we, especially if we go through the standard approach, we'll have, have a lot of education, a lot of outreach. We'll have plenty of time to educate people, but especially for the larger waste generators in town, I think it would be helpful to have as a you know tool of last resort 
Um, so I would like to see that. I don't think the normal, um, I think our normal code enforcement ordinance and fines are probably adequate for residential enforcement, but for commercial enforcement, we probably want a higher amount. Um, and I would not be in favor for the equity reasons of increasing our residential fines, but um, I would think that we could have a graduated uh, fine for the commercial component. Agree so, with that. Um, that was just something that we were asked to provide some input on. Um, you know, I if we can do an intent. Um, I don't know, Mary, if you have thoughts on that, if that will help protect us. It does seem like we are already in compliance with a good number of requirements under the state law, so we could cite that in our resolution um, with the understanding we'd still probably want to get this forward in January or early February, I think. But I would be, I would be heavily in favor of having staff reach out to other jurisdictions and um, perhaps Bay Cities and the Sustainability Commission, if that's possible with our time frame. Yeah, um, sorry, uh, Council Member Klubendall's uh, Vice Mayor Kelman. I think that's a good approach. I think we should reach out first to Mill Valley, look at what their resolution of intent states. I, don't, I certainly don't think it will hurt, um, and it may assist in indicating to Cal Recycle that we are moving forward and are paying attention, and it's not just been you know, uh, forgotten or ignored. And um, Madam Vice Mayor, I apologize if you took public comment, I missed oh, yeah. it. Okay. I just wanna make sure we had our questions answered, but thank you for, for that reminder. Um, Councilmember Cleveland, anything else uh, for staff? Uh, not right now, thanks. Okay, uh, so Serge, you wanna call public comment for us? Yes, um, Madam uh, Vice Mayor, we have Sandra Bushmaker, and Sandra, you've been unmuted and asked to share your video. Good morning again. A couple things, and I'll be very brief. Uh, one, I think it's an assumption on the part of uh, Aliana and staff that everybody at the residential level knows how to separate their refuse. <laughs> so I think that we need to really work hard on education. I think that's really an important thing. Secondly, uh, I think that uh, from a residential point of view, I think we need to be working, if the city's gonna impose enforcements on the residents, we need to be working on incentive-based enforcement first. And perhaps the Sustainability Commission can come up with some creative ideas. I know in Mill Valley, the uh, refuse collector will not pick up garbage if it's not, or uh, recycling if it's not properly uh, separated. I know Bay Cities is pretty generous. <laughs> they just take the blue can and dump it. And, uh, but they, it's a good motivator to not have your recycling picked up if you haven't separated it properly, rather than a monetary fine or the fact that the city is going to be imposing um, financial burdens, uh, particularly at the beginning here when we're starting this program. And lastly, my first thought actually when this presentation came up is, wait a minute, we just renegotiated our contract with Bay City Refuse. So I think that how this is presented to the public is gonna be really, really important, uh, particularly if there are additional uh, fees included. But I think that clarifying that with Bay City Refuse is really important. Thank you, that's it. Thank you, Sandra. 
Okay. Uh, anybody, uh, any other public comment, Serge? Madam Vice Mayor, I see no other hands raised. Okay, so we'll bring it back up here. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Sorry, Vice Mayor, just in, to be clear, um, in light of the public comment, Elena, maybe you could just confirm that there will be no penalties until 2024. So the whole point is a slow ramp up. And I was just saying at the point of 2024, when we uh, can move into that compliance period, that's when I think we at least need to have the tool of penalties in our toolbox, but all the other, that would be a tool of last resort. Um, but is that correct? It's not till 2024, right? That any fines would go into effect. Uh, well, so it's at the city's discretion. Um, 2020, by 2024, the city has to start enforcing per power cycle, but Sausalito could elect to do so earlier um, or take a lighter approach to enforcement, um, you know, in 2023 at its, at its option. Um, Great, that's helpful, thanks. Okay, so it sounds like, and, and uh, please interject, uh, Councilor Cleveland-Knowles, sounds like the uh, recommendation to staff is to put an item on consent or the letter of intent uh, to CalCycle to reach out to neighboring jurisdictions, uh, including Mill Valley, but others, of course, to see what they're doing with the uh, consultancy, if there's an economy of scale to be achieved with efficiencies, um, maybe provide uh, further insight or uh, recommendations around uh, penalties, of um, timing, as well as amounts um, per the request of the staff report. Uh, and then also to coordinate with Sustainability Commission to see if we can get them to do a read of the uh, proposed resolution as well. Okay, did I miss anything? No, I think the only thing I would add is um, I did think it would be helpful to have sustainability. They've thought a lot about this, but the incentive approach, you know, the non-fine um, or fee enforcement mechanisms to add that kind of to their um, purview and then to make recommendations to the council on what those could include. Great. Yeah. Um, so I just, um, and I think that's a, a good approach. Um, I do want to point out, I think right now on the sustainability commission, um, the commissioners who had specialized in waste termed out earlier this year. And so at the moment there isn't um, a commissioner with uh, a great deal of uh, expertise and addressing waste, though it has been, you know, an ongoing um, item that they're addressing. Uh, right now, I think the chair uh, Wiley is the only one who is on their waste subcommittee and addressing waste. Um, so I do think that the Sustainability Commission would enjoy reading over the uh, ordinance in advance, but I don't, I wanna say that um, some of the expertise that um, maybe was there uh, is not presently, um, Sure. Yeah, understood. We had the benefit at the Finance Committee meeting of having former and current um, sustainability commissioners. There were, I can't remember, um, each, I think Angela was one, I can't remember, or Lauren was one, um, and someone else came and also spoke. So, um, as you said, you know, present this to the chair, and, it, you know, should she want to consult with somebody else, you know, in her, her review, but I think we'd all benefit from having them, at least have the opportunity to, to weigh in. Thank you. Okay. Uh, if that's all we have on this item, um, we will move on then to item 2B, uh, revisions to zoning ordinance regarding changes to an approved project. So 
so I don't know who uh, from staff wants to give that presentation, but oh, Rosalind, nice to see you. Nice to see you, Vice Mayor Kelman. Um, just give me a second. I'm going to share my screen with my presentation. Great. I have to say, it's so exciting to see so many environmental focused uh, items coming before us. So thank you for your hard work on that, Elena. Okay, can you see my screen? Yes. Okay, great. So uh, good afternoon, Vice Mayor Kelman and Council Member Cleveland Knowles. Um, the item before you is a potential zoning text amendment to the zoning code to eliminate the noticing requirement for minor changes to approved projects. Um, background. In 2011, the Planning Commission recommended and the City Council adopted amendments to the zoning code that required additional notice for minor changes to entitlement approvals. Prior to that time, no additional noticing was required for minor modification requests for approved projects. A comment received on that change stated that requiring additional notice would discourage applicants from receiving approvals from the planning process. However, uh, the City Council did go ahead and adopt the noticing requirement for um, changes to minor uh, or minor changes to approvals. Currently, the zoning code authorizes the community development director to approve minor changes to an approved site plan, architecture, or the nature of the approved use if certain criteria are met. The zoning code also requires notice to property owners within a 300 foot radius 10 days prior to the final approval. And in this side, slide, you can see the language of subsection 10.50.180C uh, the noticing requirement and also subsection 10.82.020B, which um, is the 300 uh, foot noticing and uh, 10 days prior to approval. To streamline the review process, staff is proposing to eliminate the noticing requirement for minor changes to entitled projects. As written, the noticing requirement applies to any change to an entitled project. This is suggested language to amend subsections 10.50.1880C and 10.82020B would exclude minor changes from the noticing requirement in the zoning code. And in this slide, you can see the proposed changes um, underlined and um, any other and deletions are stricken. Staff recommends that the Legislative Review Committee review the proposed amendment and provide direction to staff on the Ordinance for Planning Commission recommendation and City Council review and adoption. That is the conclusion of my presentation on this item and I am available to answer any questions that you may have. Great, thank you so much. Um, I, I think the most obvious question is where is the definition of minor? That is a good question. And I believe our zoning code does not define minor and it's up to the discretion of the community development director. Um, and that is where um, in our experience that a, a lot of the um, discussion has revolved around with this item is what is what is a minor change versus what is a substantial change to the plans. Right, and historically, I think we, we looked at this about 10 years ago on the Planning Commission, um, and I don't think I was on it at the time, but it's been a real um, issue for us. I think there was a Sasseto Boulevard project where a uh, deck was expanded and it was deemed minor, and then it came back to the commission. 
I, I guess um, this seems like a, like a big obstacle for me in understanding the implications of this. Do you have any suggestions? Well, um, along with this change, we could also um, include definitions of minor and substantial change in our definition section of the zoning code. Mm -hmm. um, that way, um, there's more predictability um, in making that determination. Okay. Yeah. Uh, have, have you seen any definitions like that in, in your experience? Um, so, uh, no, but I definitely can uh, do some research and look at other jurisdictions, surrounding jurisdictions, um, to see exactly how they've defined minor and substantial and have recommendations on how to define those terms in our zoning code when um, the changes are before planning commission and city council or if you'd like, or if legislative review committee would like us to come back with this with the proposed changes, um, including minor definitions of minor and substantial, we can do that as well. Okay, yeah, let, let's see what uh, Councilman McCleveland Knowles, who also got to serve on the Planning Commission, might have a comment on. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, you know, I'm generally in favor of this direction. I think we've had quite a few instances where truly minor things have gotten projects, you know, kind of overly um, caught up in the review process or encouraged to just ignore uh, the city's laws. But I, you know, I hear the, the issue. I would be more in favor of a, um, I think a community development director can generally tell the difference between major and minor. I think what you may be getting at vice mayor and what I would be comfortable with is something that gives direction to the community development director to include in his or her consideration of what is a major or minor change the impact uh, or potential impact to neighbors um, or the public so for example public view or a, a neighboring view um, I think trying to get into a definition of major or minor is going to be quite difficult um, I would also think that one approach could also be that the planning through the planning commission process uh, that staff the applicant and any um, objecting parties could identify items in that process that they think are major components. So just as an example, if somebody is arguing for a skylight with a retractable shade because they think that might you know, um, have glare on their, you know, neighbor, on a neighboring property, that that condition of the shade, the retractable shade, could be designated in the planning uh, commission report, you know, something, a change, you know, that that's either a condition, you know, anything that's a condition of approval would obviously be a major change or, or something like that, that things can be identified that people care about early in the process. And then that would be direction to the community development director that changes to those items um, would also tend towards a major change. So I'd be sort of more in favor of kind of general guidance as opposed to trying to nail down a precise definition. But I, I don't know what staff thinks of that. So Council Member Cleveland Knowles and Vice Mayor Kelman, so um, 
what the section um, uh, 5180B actually has criteria for the community development uh, director to consider in um, approving minor changes. And so built into that criteria are considerations of, of what's considered minor. So um, if, if the direction preferred is, you know, giving general guidance, we sort of already have that in built into to that sex subsection B. Can is Roslyn, is it possible for you to share your screen or to read to us what is currently in that section? Sure. And and Roslyn, my my uh, related question to that as you're sharing that is, is there a public notice component of that? Because as, as we both know, the planning commission is part of the difficulty is, is, is noticing the neighbors and part of the requirement. And when we make something ministerial or administrative, then we remove that public notice. So I would be more comfortable if there was at least a notice provision around something like that when you know we're making a change, we've deemed it minor, but we're noticing this to you and you have 10 days to come back to it. Some, something like that I think would be more of the spirit of the of the planning process, um, but is a compromise between trying to define minor versus major. So if there's something in there, that'd be good to know. Yes, vice mayor. So actually that is how um, the code is currently written. So it requires, it requires notice for minor changes. Um, and I can pull that up. And Rosalind, while, while you're doing that, if I could just weigh in too, and that, that's actually the request from members of the public who've dealt with this um, noticing that, that has driven bringing this to you now, because it's been found to be problematic and not to just have the director be able to make those determinations without the, the noticing requirement and the time that that entails. And um, your community development director could speak to that as well. Well, I'm sorry, Mary, so can you clarify? So if the notice provision is already in the code, what is the current problem being reported that the notice isn't happening or no that the notice creates and kind of an undue hardship on an applicant i believe is oh. the concern oh interesting okay yeah i think the recommendation is to remove the noticing correct if i may um vice mayor kelman and councilmember cleveland knowles um this item was raised by a local architect who also had the same concern when this item was being considered in 2010, 2011. And the current concern, as our city indicated, is truly that um, the additional noticing requirement could be cumbersome and add to our process. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, can you see my screen, everyone? Yeah, and before you do that, can I just ask a question, Vice Mayor? Of course. So this is the recommendation coming from staff, is that correct? That is correct. Okay, thank you. So um, here's 1050-180 and B. It says the community development director may authorize minor changes to an approved site plan, architecture, or the nature of the approved use provided that the changes meet the following requirements. Um, one, changes are consistent with all applicable provisions of this title. Changes do not involve a feature of the project that was specifically addressed or was a basis for findings in a negative declaration or an environmental impact report for the project. Mm -hmm. Three, changes do not involve a feature of the project that was specifically addressed 
or was a basis for the project's conditions of approval or that was specific consideration by granting authority in the approval permit, four changes do not result in a significant expansion of the use, and five changes do not adver adversely impact the view. Um, changes to the project involving features described in subsections B2, 3, and 5 of this section shall only be approved by the granting authority pursuant to a new permit application process as set forth in this title. And then there's C, notice, notice shall be given as set forth in, in SMC 10.82.020. Thank you, Rosa. Yeah, that's super helpful and that addresses pretty much all the issues that I had. So. Um, Okay. I'm happy. I do see a hand raised. Um, Serge, can you uh, invite public comment? Yes, and I, uh, we have Joan Cox, and Joan, um, you've been asked to be unmuted and start your video. Good morning. Hi, Thank you for your effort on these important issues. I did, uh, I appreciated the Vice Mayor's comment about the Sausalito Boulevard project because that was a project where a deck was expanded beyond uh, what had been initially depicted in the plans. The deck, size of the deck was not the basis for the project's condition of approval. And there was definitely a difference of opinion between the homeowner and their neighbor regarding whether or not the deck affected a view and whether or not the expansion of the deck was a minor issue or a major issue. And it ended up coming to the city council more at least two times as these neighbors battled it out. And so, um, and that's just one example of, um, and that happened with no notice to the neighbor. That was the issue, was that the neighbor had not received any advance notice of the proposed expansion of the deck. That's one example, but as a planning commissioner for eight years, I can say there are numerous examples where um, the proponent of a project perceives their revisions to be minor, whereas their neighbors may, may perceive those revisions to be major. And we live in a very closely knit, uh, close upon one another neighborhood. Plus, we're looking at adding se over 700 units. Uh, to our already densely populated neighborhoods. And so I believe the noticing provision regarding proposed revisions is all the more important given our density and given the fact we will very likely be increasing that density in the coming years. Um, I also really like the idea of clearly defining or at least attempting to define what is a minor or a major. And I think Section B here does a good job of beginning to address that, but defining the difference between minor or major change completely comports with an objective that the city council adopted several years ago, which is to make our zoning um, and design review requirements more objective and less subjective. And so if we actually define uh, what's minor, what's major, homeowners undertaking proposed revisions will have a better understanding of what will be required of them should they want to proceed with those uh, proposed changes. Uh, thanks for hearing my public comment on this one. Thank you, John. So we have another hand up? Yes, and our next speaker, it's Sandra Bushmaker. Sandra, 
been unmuted and asked to share your video. Sandra, you are on mute. I said, good morning again. It seems I have a few things to say about lots of issues here this morning. But in any event, I want to endorse uh, what Joan Cox just said about the tension that's going to be increased uh, with our housing element requirements, the RENA numbers. Uh, and lastly, uh, I just wanted to ask, without repeating Joan's comments, I wanted to ask, has this concept, this change gone through the Planning Commission, our current com Planning Commission? We'll ask. Thank you. That's it. Does staff want to reply to respond to that? Uh, yes, so it has not. Um, this is the first um, instance that um, a, a, a body has seen uh, the, the proposed change. So it has not gone in front of Planning Commission yet. Okay. If, if I could add to that, Madam Vice Mayor, of course, if the council, if the legislative committee wanted to make a recommendation to bring uh, change forward, it would go through the Planning Commission for a recommendation to the City Council as it's a change to the zoning ordinance. Great, thank you. Would you mind um, unsharing your screen? Oh, yes. Sorry. Um, so, Councilor Cleveland Knowles, we both spent many a, a, a night on the dais for Planning Commission. Um, so this is an interesting one because I think when you when you look at just the words on paper, it seems like a reasonable request and easy to uh, comply with, but having spent 10 years as a planning commissioner, I know that the issues are much more nuanced and can be much more complicated. And I understand the perspective of an architect or an applicant, but I also want to bring into account the perspective of the, the neighbor and the community. So I think this notice requirement is quite important. Um, so my, my leaning would be to uh, have the planning commission who is practicing this and has this on the ground experience much like Councilman Cleveland and I have had in the past to actually weigh in on maybe um, a few options. One option could be what you presented today, removing the notice requirement. Another option um, would be to keep the notice requirement because uh, things are not always as they see. And I was on the commission during the Sausalito Boulevard deck conversation multiple times. Um, and then maybe another option could be to actually enter into definitions of what minor and major is to create some certainty and balance that against a public notice requirement. And some of that might fit nicely into some of the objective design standards uh, material that we'll be looking at in the future. So those are just sort of three buckets that come to mind for me to have the council weigh in on, but I just wanted to note that the experience of this is much different than just reading it. Um, and I see it from both sides, but I, I feel like only one side is being represented in removing the notice. And I, I'd like to find some more certainty for the community as well. But I, I welcome Councilmember Cleveland Knowles' perspective on this. Sure, thank you. Um, I definitely agree. I, I mean, obviously, if we recommend any change, the Planning Commission will weigh in. Um, I think that overall, I am in favor of no notice for certain minor adjustments. Then the question becomes, what are those minor adjustments and how do we determine that? Um, I mean, I just think this, we've kind of slid a little, you know, we kind of, most cities, I think, kind of buoy back and forth between um, what's handled at the staff level and what's happened at the planning commission and city council level. And I think we're a little too far over in one direction at this point. And I think staff, I appreciate them bringing this forward as one small step towards um, 
bringing things to the staff level. Um, so I'd be in favor of, you know, asking staff to think about before they bring it to the planning commission, whether there is more objective um, definition that can be added to the section um, that Ms. Thompson shared on the screen um, in order to give the community development director more guidance. Um, you know, but I have pretty strong confidence in our staff and in our community development director to weigh and balance um, these issues. So, you know, I, I think if we can come up with some good objective um, definition, that's amazing um, and would be very helpful. If we can't, I also think the current section is um, gives a lot of um, good direction to the community development director and what is important. So, um, yeah, I think those two options going forward to the planning commission would be fine. Continuing to provide notice to every every single change, um, I think I trust staff that that's not workable and is onerous. And um, you know, I think that provides a lot of work for staff and does encourage people to just want the law and not provide notice and move forward. So I would like, I, I'm in favor of this, but I definitely appreciate the comments about more articulation of, of minor. Yeah, and you make a good point too, that right now as written, it should give staff enough and the public, uh, applicants included in the, in the public, enough certainty um, so that balancing it with, with uh, public notice doesn't feel onerous. And if it does feel onerous, then that I think actually furthers what we're both saying, which is those need to get fleshed out a little bit more. Um, so I, I think it sounds like we're in agreement to bring some options back to the planning commission and get them to weigh in. Um, so I don't know if staff needs further clarification. No, we, I definitely have ample direction. Great, thank you. Okay, well, thank you very much for that. That was very, very helpful. Um, okay, well, moving on then to our last item, item 2C, uh, Senate Bills 9 and 10. And it uh, looks like maybe our city attorney is going to share this with us. And before we get started on this item, I just want, I'm sorry, I just wanted to apologize. When I looked at the agenda materials a few days ago, there weren't materials attached to this item. And when I logged on this morning, there were, I'm sure they were, um, noticed at some point, but I just want to apologize. I did not see the attachments between whenever this meeting was noticed. And so I looked at them very quickly this morning. So just apologies on that front. No, no problem there. Uh, Mary, would you like to? Sure. Um, thank you, Madam uh, Vice Chair and Council Member Cleveland-Knowles. So this is a, a, a relatively quick overview of Senate Bills 9 and 10. As you're both well aware and members of the public are well aware, there have been a number of laws signed into um, effect, uh, including most recently this last legislative session um, regarding housing, and those bills included Senate Bills 9 and 10. There was a request at the City Council meeting on October 26 for the uh, Council to consider adopting an item this year before uh, SB 9 in particular goes into effect on January 1st um, to provide some clarity on the process and the communication that that member of the public um, sent 
included a reference to a um, article in the Marin Post that was included in the packet, along with um, a resolution that was referenced in that article, which was prepared uh, by, I understand, a neighborhood group or resident group for the city of Los Angeles to consider. So you'll see in that resolution that it references the city of Los Angeles uh, because it was drafted for their consideration um, and was not you know, changed for purposes of this presentation. So again, um, we're gonna go over Senate Bills 9 and 10, um, relatively uh, quick overview here. Um, Senate Bill 9 uh, goes into effect on January 1st of 2022. It generally requires ministerial approval of two units per parcel in single family residential zoning districts. And it allows owners to subdivide existing single family residential lots, uh, resulting in the potential to build up to four units on existing single unit lots. There's some exceptions to those requirements that we can get into if you would like. Um, and they're, they're listed, of course, in the bill itself. So this SB9 framework is very similar to recent changes to the ADU laws um, in that it requires a ministerial approval of applications for two to four units with a qualifying lot split for projects that meet the minimum criteria defined by the state law. Um, generally, the city must approve an application to develop up to two units on lot zone for single family housing, uh, so long as the parcels within an unincorporated urbanized area or in a city with an urbanized area, and that's a defined term. It's not located in certain types of zones, including farmland, wetlands, very high fire hazard severity zones, hazardous waste sites, um, and it includes um, uh, historic districts and or properties that have been designated for historic registers. Uh, that's a little bit of a difference from Senate Bill 35, which you've also heard about, which um, does not preclude development on properties in historic districts, but SB9 does. It also provides that the development cannot require the dem demolition of affordable housing, rent controlled housing, or housing occupied by a tenant for the last three years. And it won't require the demolition of more than 25% of existing walls unless allowed by ordinance or a tenant hasn't occupied a unit in the last three years. So obviously trying to provide um, protection for existing, uh, existing housing. Cities can impose local development standards, um, such as requiring setbacks of up to four feet, but those um, standards cannot preclude the development of two units per lot um, or require setbacks that are greater than an existing structure has. Uh, and the size of the units to be constructed has to be at least 800 square feet. There are regulations regarding parking. You can only require one parking space per unit unless the units within a half mile of public transit or um, within a block of a car share, in which case we cannot require parking. Um, as I indicated previously, SB9 requires ministerial approval of an application to split a lot uh, to create not more than two new parcels, and you can only do that one time. So you can't split and then split those lots again under SB9. You could do a normal subdivision map if um, the lot met those requirements. There are restrictions about lot size um, and basically neither lot may be smaller than 1,200 square feet. You could adopt smaller minimum lot sizes if you wanted, but that's the parameter of the, the state law. So then an applicant, if they subdivided their, or split their lot under SB9, obviously would then also be able to develop the two units on each of those lots, so essentially allowing up to four units. The approvals of those two units and lot splits are ministerial, meaning they're not subject to CEQA review. 
And then you do have this um, suggested resolution in your packet today. Basically, I think that resolution reiterates the requirements of state law um, and may be somewhat helpful to frame the issue if the council wants to direct staff to bring forward an ordinance in the future to comply uh, with SB 9 and to establish criteria. One thing that it might be useful to clarify uh, at this point is that the city's objective design and development standards that you've already clarified um, apply to other housing projects, also apply to SB 9 projects, provided that they don't conflict with the requirements of state law. I also included some information here about SB 10. Um, unlike SB 9, SB 10 provides a mechanism for the city to adopt regulations if they so choose. It doesn't impose these on the city, but says that a city can take advantage of adopting an ordinance to upzone urbanized areas close to transit, allowing up to 10 units per parcel without secret review. Um, there is also a provision in SB 10 that would allow a local governmental body to override by a supermajority zoning restrictions um, regarding housing that had been established by local initiative. Um, with that, I'm happy to get more into SB 10 if you would like me to, but I think SB 10 is a little bit of a different animal than SB 9, and it seemed that the, the primary focus was uh, SB 9 for this conversation. I would note that there is um, discussion about having a joint planning commission city council meeting in the future to discuss a number of things, including potentially objective design and development standards that are being formulated, and also um, the numerous housing bills that uh, we're dealing with. With that, I'm uh, happy to answer any questions. Great, thank you, Mary. Councilmember Cleveland, Nulls, any questions for City Attorney? Yeah, thank you, um, Mary. I think you, I think you said this, but can you just clarify what of any of the things that were in the proposed Los Angeles resolution are a necessary to do? if they will be done prior to the end of the year and be whether there have really any um, material impact. I yeah, thank you. Sure, thanks Councilmember Cleveland Knowles. The, the thing that I think would be helpful is to clarify that the objective um, design and development standards that the city council's already identified from the current zoning ordinance that apply to other housing projects such, such as projects that are subject to the HAA would also apply to SB9 projects, <clears throat> excuse me, provided that they don't conflict with the uh, requirements of the state law. And that was the only item? I, I believe so, unless the council wanted to look at imposing minimum development size. You know, SB9 requires that it be at least 800 square feet. Um, I believe some jurisdictions are looking at uh, developing standards around that uh, minimum lots minimum development size and so if the objective design standards that you just referenced if we were to do that would that include uh, setbacks it could include setbacks but they can't be greater than four feet right so that would address that particular issue in this resolution okay and then I guess my only other question was about the affordability requirement that I think was suggested um, and whether that is consistent. I think the um, there was some proposal that any new housing created under an SB9 project have a 
affordable housing restriction on it for a certain number of years. And I'm just not sure if that was if that's consistent. Um, I mean, I know we already have inclusionary housing requirements for certain size developments. I don't believe we applied them under five units, but I can't remember. I think that's accurate, uh, Councilmember Cleveland Mills. It's four or five. I could look if that would be important, but it wouldn't apply to a two-unit development. Right. So if we had a higher requirement for an SB9 project, that seems like it might not be in compliance with the spirit of SB9, but I'm, I wasn't sure if that was my other question. And if you don't know the answer today, that's, that's also fine. Yeah, I, I would need to look at that a little bit more for you. I think it is a little bit in conflict um, with the city's existing regulations and might, if needs, wants to be considered, I don't know that doing it by resolution is the appropriate um, mechanism to do that. Okay, thank you. And thank you, Vice Mayor, that, those are my questions. Great, thanks. Thanks for those uh, helpful questions. Um, Mary, uh, so one of the reasons that this is on our agenda today is because this goes into effect of January 2022, is that right? So do we have, are we under a time constraint to get this resolution on uh, council agenda? Well, you know, the, the provisions of SB9 apply whether you adopt anything before January 1, 2022 anyway. So the, the state law will go into effect um, and you're not required to adopt anything. If, if the council wanted to put some parameters around any open questions, you know, such as objective design and development standards, you have an opportunity to do that. Now, you can also take action after January 1st. You're not precluded from adopting regulations that are um, consistent with the state law after January 1st. Got it. And so then on this comment of objective, um, SB 9 authorized cities and counties to enact local SB 9 implementation ordinances and guidelines that are objective, right? Uh, but until the city enacts local implementation ordinances and guidance is subject to SB 9 as written, is that correct? Well, yes, you're subject to SB9 whether you adopt local regulations or not, the, the minimum requirements of SB9, correct? Like you have to process it ministerially, you have to work within the parameters of what the law says about minimum lot size, unless you create a smaller minimum lot size, you have to apply the four-foot setback. Um, and there's some indication in this resolution that you could have more public hearing and public involvement. I'm not sure how um, LA is implementing that. You know, it's pretty clear in the state law that it's a ministerial process. Um, so I think you could, if, that, if this is responding to your question, Madam Vice Mayor, and I apologize if it's not, but I think you could, we could bring something forward right now that says, hey, here's what SB9 says. You're directing us to come forward with a res uh, an ordinance in the future to implement SB9 within its parameters, but you just wanna clarify for now that the objective design and development standards that you have already indicated apply to housing projects also apply to these projects so that there's no question. Yeah, I think I wanna bifurcate those two issues. I think um, in understanding why LA was pushing for this before the end of the year, my understanding is that they wanted to have local guidance and implementation policies on the books um, before SB9 went into effect. So it's not that it'd be inconsistent with SB9, but it gives sure. local control. And so that I think is the point of, of us looking at this issue. And I just wanna make sure to confirm that with you. 
I mean, yes, I think that that was the, the intent of what was being brought forward by that community group. Yes. Okay. And then your um, staff report mentioned several exceptions, but you don't um, go into detail. Uh, do you have any further detail on the exceptions? Um, I think it is listed in that the parcel can't be located on farmland, wetlands, very high fire hazard severity zones, hazardous waste sites, earthquake fault zones, special flood hazard areas, regulatory flood work, floodways, excuse me, land identified for conservation, um, habitat for protected species, and then the historic properties that we talked about, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and then the protections around existing affordable housing, rent-controlled housing, or uh, tenant-occupied housing. Okay, thank you for that. Sure. Um, I think I probably have a few more questions, but I do see two hands up, so why don't we take public comment, and then uh, we'll spark more. So thank you, uh, Mary. Uh, Serge, do you want to call public comment, please? Madam Mayor, it looks like we do have three speakers, and our first speaker, it's, Sen it's Sandra Bushmaker. Sandra, you've been unmuted and have to share your video. I think Joan was before me. Oh, pardon me. It's different order here on my screen. So, Joan, um, you've been unmuted. Thank you. I just wanted to clarify our understanding of SB9, which is that if taken to its logical extreme, it actually could result in eight units on a single parcel. When you combine the lot split provision with the ADU and JADU provisions. So um, one lot becomes two lot, each two lots, each lot then can have two freestanding houses or townhouses, plus each lot is entitled to an ADU and a JADU. Now, as under SB9, a city is not required to approve an ADU or a JADU where both the lot split provision and two residential units provisions are invoked. But nevertheless, I just wanted to make it clear that the, that one potential outcome, unless it's um, clarified by the city, is that you could end up having eight units where you now have one unit. So I just wanted to make that clarification. I also wanted to address um, Councilmember Cleveland Roll's comment that not all of the attachments were available when she first reviewed the staff report. There was just a Brown Act decision that came down that said that where not all attachments were actually included 72 hours in advance of a regularly scheduled meeting, the notice was deemed inadequate. So I know that sometimes we publish and then add attachments, and this Brown Act decision has, um, has now prevents us from being able to do that unless we do so within 70, at least 72 hours in advance of a regular meeting. I know these meetings are scheduled as special meetings and so the notice requirement is only 24 hours but for purposes of transparency i have long harped on this i think attachments should be available at the time that the agenda is published thank you again for the opportunity to come thank you joan um sir do you want to call the next speaker our next speaker is sandra bushmaker This will be it for today. 
Anyway, I, I brought this to your attention for some of the reasons that have already been articulated. Let me just get SB 10 out of the way first. I don't understand why the city of Sausalito would not retain the power to require a CEQA uh, analysis on a project of 10 units in our delicate seaside community. So uh, if I have that correct, that's fine. If I don't, I, I would like an examination of that assumption. Uh, with regard to SB 9, uh, I agree with the eight unit that uh, Joan Cox just mentioned, which would just be devastating for our neighborhoods uh, in many regards. Uh, and I realize the tension that there is with the arena numbers and our housing element and the incredible crunch that is putting on cities, pitting neighbors against neighbors, which is really an unfortunate uh, foreseen consequence, I would say, <laughs> of this legislation. Uh, so what I would like to do is ask the city or ask this committee to request an in-depth legal analysis of what are the powers that the city council can retain uh, under SB 9 and have those clearly delineated so that uh, the council can make a clear decision. Yes, we want to retain this particular power. And I like the idea of doing this even though it may not be required, but getting ahead of the implementation of SB 9 or the effective date of SB 9 for January to lay a foundation for further work on this particular issue. What I want to see is the city of Sausalito retain as much local control as possible. And by taking these steps, I think we can, can lay the roadmap for doing what is permitted. And I recognize that SB 9 has gouged out our local control uh, to a great extent. One of the things that Susan Cleveland Knowles mentioned was the deed restrictions. And I do know Mike McGuire raised this at that recent SALT meeting, uh, which I attended, that you, the city can impose deed restrictions for up to 30 years. Uh, and I think a further analysis of those deed restrictions uh, would be helpful to the council and helpful to the public. Let's see, I think that's it. Uh, basically, uh, you know, I'd like to see the council really understand what they can do and what they want to do with regard to local control on this particular issue and to do so before the implementation of SB9. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Sandra. Looks like we have one more speaker, Serge. Yes, our next speaker is Linda Pfeiffer. Linda, you've been unmuted and asked to share your video. Okay, can you hear me? Sorry, my video is not quite working, but can, can you hear you. me? Okay, sure great. Okay, so first uh, I'd like to say that uh, there is a time sensitivity regarding SB 9 as written with this law, um, the onerous high density impacts and uh, reduction of local control uh, goes into effect January 1st. And so this council has an opportunity to take action, decisive action uh, before January 1st uh, to uh, mitigate per the recommendations on the resolution draft that you received which provides an example of what Los, Ange Los Angeles is doing, but I happen to know that city councils up and down California are actually using this as a template and a draft to, uh, uh, to try to insert some, some, some degree of local control in mitigating the high density impacts of SB9. So I guess my request here is that the, count, the uh, legislative committee moves decisively on um, 
on uh, on a resolution that uh, includes this the mitigation suggested in the Los Angeles draft, but customized to Sausalito for uh, expediting and public discussion uh, for um, adoption prior to January 1st. Because right now, the developer comes in on January 2nd and they can, just like Joan Cox mentioned earlier, uh, here's a parcel with one house, we're gonna put in eight. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty scary stuff. So that's my first comment. My next comment has to do with um, after we have, taken the steps to do whatever we can to mitigate this horrible, you know, SB9 legislation, which is really going to impact negatively on Sausalito with respect to our quality of life and high densities. And my comment here is that um, we've been given a high arena number, which you know, and this arena number, this regional housing needs allocation number from the state, from HCD, is so onerous. Um, if we are being forced to adopt SB9 from the state and these high densities ministerially, then we should be able to count those towards our arena. And I believe that you will find that when you take a, an honest look at how SB9 could negatively in, you know, impact uh, every street in Sausalito, I, I think you will find that we exceed that arena, that arena number. Um, the third point, um, uh, in other words, my, my point about this is that the state can't have it both ways. The state can't say a small coastal town like Sausalito with its uh, infrastructure challenges of constrained sewers and narrow roads and water constraints has got, has no choice but to accept all the densities around SB9, but oh, you can't count that towards arena. No, okay. no. Linda, I'm just going to note your, your time has elapsed, um, but I, I do okay. want to note for the record that you... Um, I think we did receive public comment from you uh, yes. in, in writing. So thank you for that. Thank you. If I could just also add the conservation easement from Open Space Sausalito really needs to be um, enacted as, as quickly as possible. And I would ask the council to appoint two council members uh, to work with Open Space Sausalito towards that uh, conservation easement on Cypress Ridge and Sausalito Highlands to protect that from uh, development. We have incredible resident support. We've already raised the funds to do that. Thank you. Thank you for alerting us to that. Much appreciated. Um, okay, Serge, is there anybody else with public comment today? Madam Vice Mayor, there are no further hands raised. Okay, great. Thank you to all our um, public speakers. That, that was really helpful today in, in this meeting overall and to get this last item. Councilmember Cleveland Knowles, do you have uh, comments or suggestions? Um, I just have one question, which I was going to ask earlier, but it came up again in public comment um, to staff, which is, um, to what extent SB9 will help us in achieving our RENA numbers under our next housing element cycle. Um, and I was under the impression that units generated, um, you know, within, I think we have to show that the X number would be reasonably achievable within a time frame. you know, not, we can't count every single, single family parcel. But um, could staff just elaborate on whether those can be counted and if there's so far been any analysis on what number that might uh, lead to in Sausalito? Um, thank you, uh, Councilmember Cleveland Knowles. I don't know how that's been discussed with the um, 
the consultant that's doing the housing element, and I don't know if your community development director has any more information on that, but um, you know, there, there's no certainly no prohibition against counting units that are developed pursuant to SB9 um, towards your region. But I agree with you that we can't assume that every single family dwelling unit lot is gonna be split, you know, that meets the criteria, will be split and will be developed with two um, units. Um, and if there was an existing unit, you could only count the, the, the one new unit, correct? Um, I understand there was a study, I believe done at Berkeley, that believed, and I believe the conclusion was that they believed SB9 would generate sort of the same number of units that the ADU law has generated. Um, I haven't reviewed that in depth, but um, I know that that's out there as well. So I would ask if, Heidi to, to let us know if there has been any communication with the housing uh, element consultant on this or not. Uh, I don't believe there has been, but she could maybe speak to that. Thank you, Mary. Um, we have not heard anything yet from our housing consultant, but this is an item that we will be diligently working on and gathering that information, and that information we will share with the community and the council. Okay, thank you. Any other questions, Councilman Klimanos? No, thank you. Okay, great. Well, um, this was a really helpful conversation. So a couple of, of thoughts, maybe a recommendation. I know we talked about putting this onto the city council agenda on consent for the 16th, um, it sounds like we should go ahead and, and have that um, available to the, to the council. Uh, I do think it would be helpful to have a deeper dive on local control and what that means. Um, we talked a little bit about implementation and what the difference between having a state law um, that come down, comes down the pipe and what it means for something uh, at the city level to be passed and how those interact. So Mary, is there somebody at your firm who has the expertise uh, on local control who could help, help us here? Well, we certainly have lots of expertise in housing um, and you know, the, the state laws, if that's what you're asking in these, these bills, um, whether or not that can be done by the 16th, uh, which actually means it needs to be done by Tuesday, is um, a different discussion. Okay, let's, let's do this and let's see if, if someone's already done it. I mean, we're not the only ones looking at SB9 in this issue. If someone's already done it and you could pull the the firm audience, that'd be great. Heidi, if you could also do the same with DeNovo to see if they've looked at this at all. Let's just have that information. Yeah, Mary. Can I make sure I understand what that means though, Madam Vice Chair? So you know, we can certainly look at what SB9 imposes on the city. You know, this is what, these are the things that you're bound to um, comply with. Mm -hmm. We can look at where SB9 might have some ability, leave some ability for the city to impose other requirements. I, th I think that's what you're asking for. I think yeah, the request yeah. from the community member was broader than that. And that's the request that I don't believe there's time to implement, you know, an overall look at every housing bill, every city regulation currently about housing and have that in one package for you to consider. That might be something that would be useful to do if there's a, a, a meeting in January or, or early next year at some point with the planning commission you know, summary of here's what your existing housing laws are, you know, density bonus, inclusionary, whatever other provisions we have, ADUs, um, and then also bring forward where we are with SB9, SB10, SB35, H the HAA. Yeah. It's a huge discussion. Much bigger. Yeah, sorry, thank you for that. Um, that's not what I meant. Um, I meant what Sosloo can do to retain local control. That's sure. just that narrow issue for now. I'm sure we'll cover the other uh, items from DeNovo and the housing element 
Councilman Clevenalls and I have the benefit of serving on that committee. Um, so I think right now, just so other council members can understand what it means to retain local control and why this is so important. The other piece that I think could really use um, some additional language is uh, understanding the density. So um, there wasn't much in the staff report about that, but we heard a couple of uh, folks speak to that, how you could have end up with eight units in uh, various configurations. And I think council members need to understand that. Uh, and then the final comment too is, you know, does this count towards our arena numbers or not? Um, I think that just would be a helpful inquiry. It's, we don't seem to know. So if we could answer that, that would be helpful. I mean, sure, units will count toward your arena number. Units that are developed will count toward your arena number. I think the public comment was more aligned with how much development can you project, right? How yes. much, yeah, and I, I don't know, again, that we'll have that answer for you, but we can certainly frame it and get you as much information as we can. And just to be clear, SB 9 does say that a local agency is not required to permit an ADU or a JADU, and I believe um, the public commenter was indicating that unless the city council affirmatively says that we're not doing that, that somebody could come in and request eight. It, you know, there's no case law or any um, implementation yet of this, but mm -hmm. it's definitely something we'll highlight for the council and ask the question if you want to um, look at you know specifically prohibiting the development of an ADU or JADU um, along with an SB9 project. Yeah, you know, I think just generally maybe in the staff report, if there are items that we've asked for that just we don't have the time frame to include, but are questions that we've had open questions, if you could record those in the staff report um, so that the fellow yeah. council members know that we made the inquiry, sorry we don't have the information at this time, but um, we did think it was something we're talking about. You bet, and these are all great questions. I mean, and, and really helpful to frame the discussion for the council about what it is SB9 says and what it is we can and cannot do. So that, I think that's great and that direction is very helpful. Thank you. Okay, great. So Councilman Cleveland-Knowles, anything else before we adjourn? I'm sorry, we're five minutes over. Yeah, um, I, I think I would just add, I don't, given the answers from our city attorney today, I'm not sure I see the urgency of action or a hearing prior to the end of the year. It sounded like that we retain all of our ability to act or not act before and after January 1st. So if I understood the city attorney's responses correctly, um, we could adopt a resolution prior to the end of the year that says that we intend to have our objective design standards apply to SB9 projects, but that was pretty much the only thing that seemed like we would consider important in the interim period. Is that, did I misunderstand that or? No, I, I think that that's definitely what I um, had recommended at the beginning of this discussion. I think it would be helpful to have clarity around the ADU question and if the council wants to weigh in on that at this point or if you'd rather have that framed more um, uh, clearly in an ordinance that we bring forward to you because it's, it's one thing for us to say, hey, SB9 says you don't have to allow ADUs and JADUs, but then you need to analyze what that means, right? There's some areas in, where you may want to allow somebody who's allowed to split a large lot into two pieces and develop two units on those to have an ADU. I, I don't know, um, but that would be more of an analysis of looking at how this would apply. And remember, it's single family zoning districts. It's not multifamily zoning districts. So um, in any event, I think it would be helpful to, to give the council that information. Well, so this would be an informational item on the 16th. Is that what we're recommending? 
I thought I heard bring forward some type of a resolution that it looks maybe somewhat like the LA resolution that lays out what SB9 says and a local um, response to some of the areas that are more open, like objective design and development standards, clarification on ADU, JADU, and directing us to work toward some kind of a um, ordinance to bring forward to you next year and what the parameters of that might look like. So it could either be an informational item, here's what SB9 says, here's the open questions, or it could be a, an action item. Well, until we know any potential impacts, I'd like to have an update at our Housing Element Advisory Committee or at the council level or wherever about the impacts on our potential arena before we take any action to expand or limit the purview of SB9. I mean, I think we have to kind of keep our toolkit on the table until we understand what any of this might do. So that's that's just my, I don't see why we would take an action if we don't have to, but that's where I am. Okay. Uh, um, Mary, I would just like to say, um, I, uh, I understand where Councilman Clevenels is coming from and certainly we need more, more information. Um, I'd like to um, request that we do put a resolution and onto the agenda and if we need to have a business item and to discuss it, and we can have this conversation, then we then we should. Um, but I do think there is enough ambiguity as to what happens after the first of the year. Um, and I'll also note, I, I Belvedere has brought a similar resolution, the Valley has brought a similar resolution, San Anselmo is looking at this. I know other communities are moving in this direction. Um, and I'd like us to retain that uh, local control and it's not about removing any tools from our toolkit, but I do believe in local control when it comes to land use issues. So I would like to see it added to the agenda as a resolution. And Councilmember Cleveland knows if we if we don't have support for it, then we then we don't. And uh, we updated everybody, which is our, our goal here, nonetheless. I think something like 70 other communities have passed similar resolutions, so we're not. We're not an outlier here, um, but we certainly right. I just, you know, I just want to be very cognizant of our um, public-facing um, attitude towards welcoming um, people to our community. And I would just note many comments and many news articles that have highlighted Sausalito. I was just at a meeting last night of our federal grant, county federal grant uh, meeting, where we basically are the lowest. We have, we have the least amount of diversity in Sausalito is almost any other community in Marin. Um, and I just wanna be very sensitive to the message that we're sending um, to people. And um, I, you know, I think we've just really gotta keep that top of mind as we discuss housing. Well said, and, and I couldn't agree more. Um, my perspective is that AB9 is not about diversity, it's about local control. And I don't want to merge the two issues and I think they can be kept separate can remain cognizant and keep DEI and other similar diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives at the forefront of our thinking. So I think it, but, it's- oh, Sorry, sorry, yeah. No, I apologize. No, that's, that's quite okay. Um, I, I, I don't think we're uh, in disagreement only as the timing. So I think we can both uh, achieve our goals if we put it on as a resolution. And again, if we don't get votes for it, then we don't get the votes for it and we can continue the conversation. But Vice Mayor Kilman and Councilmember Cleveland, may I ask you a, a question? And I don't mean to divert the, the direction, but perhaps to offer an additional suggestion. I think it would benefit me and it would benefit um, the council 
if we brought another item to the legislative committee for consideration and discussion that frames out some of these questions that you're asking and i understand you know we're up against it in that we have one more business meeting on november 16th and then a, a lesser of a meeting not lesser meeting but a less business intense meeting on december 7th um but if you think it would be beneficial to schedule another legislative committee meeting to continue this discussion inform the council of that during council member committee updates on tuesday then we could either um, get some more direction and clarity and bring something back to this group and you know put something on your first meeting in january um which would would not be that much further behind uh december 31. Right. No, thank you for that, Mary. Um, I think this is more of a philosophical approach to this as opposed to additional information, which you've said it might be hard to come by in that time frame. So I'm just going to, um, I guess, I think I'm sitting with the same request that we add it as a res resolution for the 16th. Um, it'll start the dialogue. If we get votes for it, then we, then we do. And if we don't, and then it's a conversation and we can continue to educate fellow council members. But that seems like it achieves everybody's goals um, of having this in front of council before the end of the year um, as something to discuss and whether it's a resolution gets passed or not um, we shall see so if that's okay the I'm I would love to have it back here and get more public comment and more input um, I think that would help the council a lot but it seems like we just are in agreement in disagreement so I'll, I think we should just if there's I also from what I remember our agendas were pretty packed from now um, through the end of the month so um, we've been having trouble getting other items on our agendas so maybe we can just um, I believe given the timeliness of this this has been carved out and um, was discussed this morning um, in addition to other permanent requests and recent requests from council members which are all in motion and I think Mary you could advise of that as well so um, I don't think it's an agenda setting uh, issue at this time it, it does sound like perhaps we just again are approaching it philosophically differently but we both do want to advise the council of what is happening what the options might be and i think this is a good opportunity for us yeah sure just i think we disagree about the timeline you know whether there's any urgency sure. and what from what i'm hearing legally there's no urgency but that's fine so with that direction we'll schedule something for the 16th returning with information around hopefully around the arena and at least to parameters of what, what the um compelled ailment consultant believes or would recommend towards um counting into that we'll be able to give you more information on the adu j adu question um but i believe the report will look a lot like the report you had in your um uh, packet today including you know this sample resolution uh, from LA, what other jurisdictions have done if we, if they've taken action and we can include that in your packet and um, ask the council for direction on you know, what to include in a Sausalito resolution if one's proposed and, and adopted. And, and Mary, I think you and I also talked before the hearing um, about Mill Valley will probably have had, uh, have passed this resolution by the time we hear it. So, um, whether you want to reach out to them or you would you like yeah, us to absolutely them. yeah we'll, we'll have other resolutions that we can uh, reference as well yep and i um maybe i can enlist heidi to reach out to her uh, community development compatriots in Marin county too well so yeah. you, 
I'll reach out to city attorney and she'll reach out to the, the community development directors and between the two of us, we'll come up with a list. And if there's any additional information we can get from our housing element advisory uh, committee consultant, I think that would be very helpful. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Excuse me, sorry for jumping in. And we can also do a research and some other, um, sometimes we get these little bulletins from other law firms that have already done something similar. So we can see if there's something out there as well. Okay. Right. Well, just, right, right. Well, just like well, uh, WG has information that's out there and not, I, sorry. Well, we'll do research. Yeah. Thank, thank you. I, I recognize that there's been a lot of work. Uh, we're just beginning, but a lot of work to do. So appreciate everybody's uh, patience and, and uh, weighing in with insight. And I think the more conversation we have, the better. So Councilmember Clevenolz, thank you so much for your uh, insight and comments today. Anything else to add before we uh, adjourn? Nope. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, everybody. We are adjourned. Bye.